This Tailgate Society podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Deadeye Premium Barbecue Products. Born in Iowa and made in the heartland, Deadeye is your go-to source for everything barbecue. Sauces, seasonings, you name it. They've made a science out of great grilling flavor. It's more than a sauce. Whether you're cooking sliders, dogs, steak, or chicken, Deadeye has the explosive flavor needed to make every dish delicious. Try a splash of their sweet and smoky original recipe or turn up the heat with their Magnum Edition barbecue sauce. Both flavors are available in seasonings as well as sauces. So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com. Hello and welcome to Culture Check, the Dark Knight, a Tailgate Society podcast. Please check the tailgatesociety.com and subscribe to Tailgate Society Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm Arnold Woods, and I'm joined proudly by Emily Cornell. Emily, what's going on? You know, living the dream. Uh, it's very, very hot in Texas. I don't know how it is in Iowa, but it is about to be 105 degrees. I mean, it's hot down here, but it's not 105 degrees hot. It's fun. I didn't tell you this. One of my friends, one of my good friends is in uh, Dallas right now visiting his sister, and yeah, he sent a message to the group chat talking about how he doesn't understand how people in Texas survive the heat. So air conditioning, like very you know. good air conditioning. And like, I like be I like, I like the heat. Um, I'll happily like walk around and be like, I'm sweating everything out. It's fine. Um, as long as I can like go and drink some water, I'm like, this isn't the worst, but I do know people are like, it's disgusting. And I'm like, nah, it's not great, but you do dry off, I guess. I was in Dallas. The last time I was in Dallas was probably about 10 years ago. I was down there for my aunt's uh, funeral. And one thing that struck me was like, it was really hot, but it was also really windy, but the wind like didn't help the heat. Like I'm used to, okay, it's windy. Like that'll cool us off a little bit, but no, it was just like a hot wind. Yeah. I was like, damn, this isn't great. Yeah. It's, it's not for everyone. (laughs) And, like, I get that. Like, growing up in Colorado where, like, the wind blows in the summer and it, like, feels very, like, it cools you off. That's not a thing in the summer here. Um, It might make you feel hotter. And it's, like, 100% humidity. It's just, uh, summer is not the best time in Texas. But I will take it over negative 20 degrees in Laramie 10 out of 10 times. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't want to be up here for winter either. Um, no, in Iowa. Terrible. <laughs> it's not great. Not ideal. I know that you were here for the game in Ames. What month was that? Was that November? Or? Yeah, that was like mid-November and it wasn't, wasn't terrible, but it was, it was brisk. Yeah. That's like and, a little taste. Yeah. That's not the real like bitter, just walking around pissed off cold. So I've heard it's not great and it just like, it chills you to the bone and you like stay cold and if it's wet you just it just is miserable um Colorado and Wyoming it's cold but not like the Midwest yeah you never get used to it I'm from the Midwest and I'm still not used to it but we'll move on this isn't a a weather podcast (laughs) there's no segue into that no for this but we're going to be talking about um the second movie in the Dark Knight trilogy from Christopher Nolan uh the Dark Knight we did Batman Begins last week so I'm excited about that. Were you able to, when did you watch the movie this week? So I watched it today because I was like, I want to know, I need to be like wide awake when I watch it or I'm going to miss things. And any day after work, like it's kind of a crapshoot to watch a movie. 
um, and like fully pay attention. So this afternoon I was like, all right, it's time to sit down. And there, I got a lot out of it this time. Um, before we get in to the dark night, there are spoilers ahead. Um, in case anyone has not seen this movie or seen every meme that has come with it and every commentary on it. Um, thank you for listening up until this point. Now we're going to get into like what the movie is about, but, um, yeah, watched it today and it was like, there was so much that I saw that I was like, oh man, I didn't realize that this happened. I didn't, I forgot that they had this conversation and that this happens and, um, yeah. And you watched it today as well. I did. We probably watched it around the same time because I also watched it this afternoon. I had oh, yeah. my, <laughs> my three-year-old daughter crawling over me asking about who the bad guys were and why that clown is in the movie. So I was trying to keep her at bay and protect her innocence a little bit. I mean, it's not a graphic movie or anything like that, but we'll wait a little bit longer until... The Joker's you know, maybe, a little intense. He is, yeah. So she's not, she's not really ready for that yet. But yeah, I watched it this afternoon and... um I think one of the things I'm excited to talk about is how we felt about it watching it now versus um, when we saw it first. So we'll get into that um, a little bit. I guess I'll just do the overview really quick. And again, as Emily said, um, we have some spoilers. This is a spoiler podcast. So the basic plot of the movie, for those of you, I mean, it's weird. Like if you haven't seen it, why would you keep watching? But we're still going to do it. Um, so the movie focuses on um, the Joker, who is a new supervillain in, Goth- in Gotham, and he begins stealing money from the organized crime lords in Gotham. And Batman has driven these crime bosses largely underground, so the Joker offers to kill Batman in exchange for half of the combined pot of the crime lords' money. Um, Lieutenant Jim Gordon and Batman ally with Gotham District Attorney Harvey Dent to take down the mob through their high-level accountant. Uh, After Batman captures the accountant from Hong Kong so he can stand trial, the Joker kills the judge presiding over the trial and the commissioner, and then he threatens to keep killing people until Batman reveals his identity. And so Bruce Wayne decides to reveal his identity as Batman, but then Harvey Dent says publicly that he is actually Batman in his place. And then the Joker comes after Harvey Dent. There's a big chase scene. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, Batman saves Harvey Dent, but Dent is kidnapped, along with Rachel Dawes, who has been dating and intends to marry Harvey Dent. The Joker gives Batman and the cops a choice to save either Dent or Rachel. And Batman goes to save Rachel, but was given the wrong address by the Joker, so he saves Dent instead, and Rachel is killed in an explosion. Uh, In the explosion at the warehouse that Harvey Dent is at, it burns his face up. And or burns up half of his face and he becomes Two-Face, the supervillain Two-Face that we know from the comics and the cartoon series and everything like that. And he suffers a mental breakdown. Um, He kills a few of the cops who were involved in his and Rachel's kidnappings and then tries to kill Jim Gordon's family as a way of fairly, quote unquote, executing justice. And then Batman stops him from murdering Jim Gordon's family and Harvey Dent in the Um, process accidentally falls to his death and then batman takes the blame for the deaths that harvey dent um caused in order to keep dent's memory as a hero alive and in order to inspire gotham and so batman takes the fall and the movie ends with the police chasing him he becomes a true outlaw and he is the dark knight 
So that's kind of the overview. Was that good or was that? I think like- that was a, a perfect overview. I think you set it up really well for us to talk about it because you talk about a lot of the plot points that are like pretty significant. And like I said at the beginning, I was just like, oh, there are parts that I forget. So I really forget that they go after the all these crime bosses through their accountant. I forget that he plays such a significant role. Um, like I, I remember the scene where like they're ta- they're all meeting. This is like when the Joker comes in and he like disappears the pencil into a man's head. That is the part of the scene that I remember. Like when I think back, I'm like, oh yes. Do you want to see a magic trick? Don't think about the fact that they're talking, like what they're talking about. Um, because most things that involve the Joker, for me at least, I'm like, I don't really know what else is going on when I'm like, if I had not just watched the movie, I'd be like, oh, like, why did he show up here? And like, he's here, he's here. And like, Heath Ledger did such a good job as the Joker that like, he just commands the scene in any scene he's in. That's good that you talk about that. Yeah, I agree. Because those are like, that's kind of an iconic scene where he comes in and the, you know, that's what you remember. You remember him like you said, slamming the dude's head into the pencil and um, telling these mob bosses that he'll kill Batman. And he has the line where it's like, you know, someone asks him if it's so easy to kill Batman, why haven't you done it yet? And he's like, if you're good at something, never do it for free. Yeah. So like things like that stick out in my mind. But then rewatching the movie, you get kind of a fuller context of, well, why was that meeting occurring? Who was at the meeting? Why did the Joker insert himself into the meeting and things like that? So yeah, um, I wanted to ask you, I guess, so this movie came out in 2008. It came Correct. out in summer of 08. And so, wow, 12 years ago. Wow. Oh. Um, how old were you when the movie came out? Like, what grade were you in? And, like, what do you remember about the movie's release, I guess? Um, I think I would have just finished my freshman year of high school. Um, which is, like, very... Yeah, I was about to be a sophomore in high school. Uh, I probably saw the movie with my dad um, because I spent summers visiting him. And I remember it being such a big, like, after that summer, like, that was a movie me and friends really enjoyed. And, like, I made a cake that was, like, uh, like Joker-themed. Like, we were super into that movie. I remember everyone just, like, really liking it and... um I don't think looking back, like watching the movie today, I'm like, wow, there are a lot of like things happening in this movie that like have to be happening at the same time. And it's just like a really intense movie. It's a very good movie. It's a very good story. Um, and it like is very, it's presented so well, like it is an incredible movie. Um, but I think when I first saw it, I just saw it for like kind of its face value of like, Oh, this is a super cool superhero movie. Um, and like the characters are very well developed and it moves along and it's really good, but it's like, there's so much more to it now when I watch it. Um, probably because I am not a dumb like high school student, I'm just a dumb young adult who right, yeah. has watched more Same. movies. So. Same here. Um, what about you? I remember this movie. Um, there are a few things when I think about when I first saw the movie, there are a few like images that popped in my head. The first thing, 
that I think about. So this movie came out. Um, I just finished my freshman year of college. I just finished my freshman year at Iowa State. And I remember, the first thing I remember is hearing about Heath Ledger's death. And I remember wow. being in um, my friend's dorm. Uh, two of my friends lived together in a hall, in a residence hall called Roberts. They lived in Roberts Hall at Iowa State. And I was in their room. And this is before Twitter, really. Like, I don't yeah. know when Twitter, Twitter was maybe, I'm sure Twitter existed probably. I think Twitter was founded in 2007. And this would have been... I don't remember when he died. I think it was in, in 2008. I think it was maybe January 2008. And I remember being in my friend's dorm room and reading online, not through social media, but like reading online that Heath Ledger had died. And that was a, a really big shock to yeah. people at the time. Um, and especially people knew that he was going to be the Joker and, um, the movie had a lot of hype around it already, but I do remember Heath Ledger's death taking the hype to a different level. Yes. And I remember feeling at the time, like this is the most like hype movie I've ever like remotely I've ever seen. Yes. And I, I still feel that way. Really. The only thing that rivals the hype surrounding that movie was, I would say really the three MCU movies, which would be black Panther, infinity war and, Endgame. Yeah. Those three movies were similar in hype, but this is before, this is before Twitter is huge. Like it mm-hmm. is now. Um, really the, the dominant social media at the time was Facebook and things weren't really hyped on Facebook like that, like they are on Twitter. So I remember that. And then I remember buying tickets for the movie before we, we bought tickets for the movie like a week before it came out. I remember doing that. And then because I was out of town um, for that week. And then I got back into town and we saw like on a Friday or Saturday night. And I remember in the theater, um, the start of the movie, it was the quietest I'd ever like heard a movie theater to begin a movie. And I remember seeing the movie. And then after seeing the movie, I remember like not really knowing what to think about it. Cause it was so different from what I was anticipating. And I'll get into the reasons why after that, but that's, or after this, but that's what, that's what I remember the most. Um, do you, do you remember the hype surrounding the movie? I do. And I, I'm glad that you pointed that out. So like Heath Ledger dying like a couple months, but not a couple months, like he did die in January and came out like the summer 2008. But I remember that being like a huge thing. And he was like, Heath Ledger was like someone everyone like knew. It wasn't like, he was an actor that people are like, oh, I haven't really seen any movies with him in it. Or he's like only in like a specific type of movies. Like he had kind of like, people knew him from like 10 Things I Hate About You and um, Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> and um, so like, he was like on his way to just being like in all these things. And um, he was in the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus when he like had passed away so I remember like both of those movies being what people would talk about because they were talking about Heath Ledger and obviously he had completed the dark Knight, but he did not complete the imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Um, like he was, they were mid filming that one. Um, but yeah, the dark Knight had all of that around it. So much talk was around it. Like I, I remember that it was just like a very intense time around this movie coming out. But then it was like a very 
good movie. And um, obviously, if he is what we remember about the movie 12 years later, like, I, I'm like, well, he did a phenomenal job, but like, at what cost? Um, and that's like, that was kind of at the back of my head watching it today. Sure, that's a good point. Um, you know, he became, I mean, the Joker is such a, uh, an iconic character, an iconic fictional, just character in general, besides yeah. like super villain character, just an iconic character. And he sort of became the standard bearer through which the Joker was judged, really. Mm-hmm. Everything after him and the, and the character has certainly been portrayed numerous times since this movie came out 12 years ago. Um, but yeah, his, I mean, he won an Oscar for the performance mm-hmm. um, after his death and the movie became such a hit. Um, there, it was such a cultural moment, right? Yeah. Like the movie um, wasn't nominated for best picture, which led to, which is believed to be one of the reasons why the Academy expanded the best picture category uh-huh. um, to up to 10 nominees from, from five um so yeah like it it was just such a huge cultural moment and um it's it's i'm interested to see for next week's episode when we talk about dark knight rises because that was a cultural moment for a different reason for a different yeah. character but this performance became um a part of the conversation around this movie in a way mm-hmm. that really you know people felt like his performance elevated the movie which is true yeah and so it was a combination of his um you know stellar performance and then him dying early and then you know just it being a batman movie in general like all these things factored into it being just like an incredibly hype movie and it you know it set the record for opening weekend at the time and it was the biggest movie of the year and this is a movie that came out the same year as iron man yeah. So, you know, it was, that's always fascinating for me to think about that this movie and Iron Man came out in the same um, same year and, you know, the birth of the MCU and Iron Man kind of being in this movie's shadow in a lot of ways. But what the MCU um, became versus what happened with the rest of the DC movies um, has certainly, you know, those were a lot different. So, um, so yeah, just... Uh, an incredibly hyped movie and yeah. and I, I thought a lot about that as I was as as I was rewatching it. And um so yeah, what 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 are some other things that, that stuck out to you after you after you watched it today? Um so something that like throughout kind of throughout the movie and by the end where I was like, okay, so ultimately a lot of people are like feeling isolated in some way. Um, I think that was like a big, like overarching theme for me. So like the Joker is like alone and everyone's like calling him like a freak and weird and crazy. And like, he's like, no, (laughs) I'm not. Um, So he's so alone. And maybe it's because of sheltering in place and quarantine for the last couple months that I'm like, oh yeah, like he's just super alone. And like nobody like... He's just trying to be like, hey, like crime. And they like don't really care. And it's it's interesting when you get to the end of the movie and he is like, I can't kill you. And like Batman, so Batman doesn't kill anyone. And he's like, you can't kill me because of like your morals. Um, 
but like it's almost like he thinks that Batman not is necessarily his friend, but companion where he's like, I know that you're not going to try to kill me because like, there's no reason that you will. And, um, we'll be in each other's lives. And I think that he's just like seeking that. Um, I could be like totally off base. I could be very wrong about this, but I'm just like, Oh yeah. And then the way that he kind of makes everyone else feel that way, where like he kind of, he tries to do that to Batman and to like, so Bruce ends up being like um, the way he behaves is kind of with like some urgency when it comes to Rachel um, where like, obviously he just wants to be with Rachel. That is what is motivating him. He's trying to push Harvey into like being like the face and like making Gotham a better place. And in that, like, I think he's just trying to get away from that feeling of isolation of being Batman. Um, so that was like the bigger thing. And then like Jim Gordon is kind of feeling that way. Cause um, Harvey keeps questioning Jim and he's like, you know, like his decision-making and everyone's kind of like their own Island of, instead of like really trying to come together. But I mean, the way that the, the mob bosses kind of had set it up even before the Joker comes in where they have like people on the inside who are like ruining things so that they can protect whatever. Like they're not coming together as a community. They're very much looking out for their own interests, which can again be like, Oh, I'm on an Island. There's so much that you just said that like, I have like, I'm just like making mental notes of different things. And I want to make sure I remember, um, (laughs) to connect to the points that you made, because a lot of what you're seeing and what you, what you saw and how you read the movie um, aligns with how I saw it and how I read it. Um, right. one of the, so, so one of the big things, I guess, I want to talk about the Joker a little bit. I was going to yeah. save this for later, but um, it's pointless because we need, this is going to be a long conversation maybe. Um, <laughs> so this movie uh, in a lot of, a lot of the conversation I want to have actually just, just springs from what you just said. So the movie has, um, I'm thinking a lot about the influences of the movie. Um, I talked about how, or we talked about how last, on last week's episode, how Batman Begins was um, influenced by uh, the comic, the graphic novel, Batman Year One, um, which is, which was by Frank Miller, I believe. I hope that's right. Um, This one, this, this is actually, The Dark Knight has a lot of heavy influences from, uh, maybe the most famous Batman graphic novel ever is called The Dark Knight Returns. Have you read that before? I have not, but I'm adding it to the list of things to read. Okay. So it's it's interesting that it's interesting that this movie takes from that because The Dark Knight Returns is actually about an old Batman. This is like Batman in his 50s and he's retired from being Batman for a while. And a theme of that book is that he can't escape that part of his psyche that drives him to be Batman. Like he's retired. He has been Batman for like 20 years, maybe. And he just keeps feeling, feeling this pull to become Batman again, which is interesting because it's interesting that this movie takes from that novel, because this is Batman, like in his prime, this is like Batman. He's not an older guy yet. We get more of that in the next movie Mm -hmm. um, where he stopped being Batman for a while. But in this movie, he's still like very much in his prime, very active. People are still, you know, 
criminals are still afraid of him, you know, blah, blah, blah. But a part of, so in the beginning of this movie where there are like imposter Batmans with guns, Mm -hmm. like that's from the Dark Knight Returns. There are people who after Batman is gone, like people dress up as Batman and they don't have his moral code, but they're, they're, they're inspired by Batman and what he did. And so they dress up like Batman, but they have guns and they just go and shoot criminals. So that's from the book. And then also which you talk about um, with the Joker. So you, you mentioned about how the Joker and Batman are kind of two different sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. I think is what you're getting at, where you talked about how um, the Joker doesn't want to kill Batman and, you know, they just keep doing this dance on and on. And he says that at the end, like, you know, I think you and I are going to, are destined to do this forever. Yeah. Um, in the, in the, in the Dark Knight Returns graphic novel, you see when when Bruce Wayne finally gives in and comes back as Batman, you see the Joker in Arkham, like in the insane asylum. And he's been like catatonic for a long time. Like he's just been, you know, he's old too, right? He's been out of the game for a long time. He's insane. He's finally snapped beyond the point of snapping. And he is in Arkham and he's like, you know, catatonic, blank, blank face. And he sees on the news that Batman has returned. And you see him watching the news and all of a sudden like his face goes from blank to like, it curls into a smile. Mm. Right. Which is basically like, okay, he's been reactivated now. He sees Batman. I need to reread this book. I you know it's, <laughs> it's been a long time, but he sees Batman and that like activates something within his psyche to be like, yes, I can come back now. I can, I can be myself again too. And so like you saying that really made me think about that influence on that, on this movie, the idea that, um, the Joker can't exist without Batman and, and, and vice versa and how, um, you know, there's a longer conversation about this that I'm going to save for, for a little bit later, but you just saying that just really triggered that in me, like understanding the influences of that graphic novel on this movie and this idea of the Joker as a character, which again, we'll, we'll talk about a little later, but yeah, really, really, really fascinating. Um, what did you think about, um, I have here in my notes, I was, I, you know, the movie itself is even more of a crime crime drama than the last movie. Yeah. I felt like, what, how did you feel about that? I, I think that it's also very much a, a crime drama and like towards the end. So as I'm trying to like, just reflect on the movie as it's wrapping up, I'm like this real, like Batman Begins doesn't super feel like a superhero movie and the Dark Knight really doesn't at all (laughs) because you just see Bruce Wayne like getting beaten down a lot um it starts with like even in the beginning of the movie when the dog like he gets out but like a dog bites him and he's like trying to stitch himself back up um and he's just like tired and he just wants to quit and like I mean obviously that's why he then is trying to get like Harvey he's just like yes Harvey can be the face of like stopping crime in Gotham just so I can stop being Batman. Like he's exhausted, not as exhausted as he ends up being in like the dark Knight rises, but um, it to me, just because it's, he's not necessarily just like saving the city and, and Batman begins is just such a, like the him saving Gotham is just like such a big thing when like he stops the gas from, um, they're having everyone like ingest it and like 
lose their mind basically and attack each other like that feels a little more like oh that's not really gonna happen whereas like in the dark night like realistically someone could blow up a hospital um and no one would stop it and like and the joker does it i think that then it really i'm just like no like this is more of a you know drama and like they're they're trying to solve this and I remember watching like when watching this the first time there was a lot of like where is this going because the Joker as like a as a character is very unpredictable and so um it even makes it more of like oh what's gonna happen definitely Excuse me. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, he's the wild card, right? He's the wild yeah. card of the movie. He says it himself. He's very self-aware in that way. Yes. When he and um, Harvey didn't have the conversation in the hospital after everything has happened to Harvey and Rachel's been killed and stuff. And he's like, you know, I'm I'm an agent of chaos. Right. And yeah. um, his unpredictability is one of the through lines of the movie, which is what, you know, he's always he's simultaneously like reckless and chaotic and you don't know what's going to do what he's going to do. But at the same time, he's also like two steps ahead of two steps ahead of everyone. Yes. Which is just, you know, he's like the, the perfect villain in that way. And I guess I wanted to talk about this. I guess this is a good segue into this because this is, um, I, we, we'd been talking on Twitter about this, but there's a, a writer who's based out of Georgia. Um, his name is David Dennis. And he, he had this thread about um, superheroes and crime in, in, in the current state that we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, the state where people are calling for, you know, the de- defunding of the police, meaning, you know, um, taking some of the funding for police and putting it into other areas of the community like education and um, public works and things like that Um, because the police have become super militarized and Mm -hmm. um, you know there's a role that comic books play in that there's a role that these movies that are based on comic books play in that which is um, fictionally police serve as you know like police and superheroes, I guess, serve as a barrier between people and like overwhelming crime. Yeah. Right. Like these crazy villainous people. And, you know, in reality, you know, since the seventies, violent crime in America has gone down mm-hmm. and um, it's, you know, there aren't crazy mad scientists trying to, gas our water supplies right there aren't really people there aren't a lot of people who are out there who are trying to you know like you said like bomb hospitals or whatever like that could happen certainly but it's not like the odds of that happening are are pretty low in the real world yeah but you know i guess watching this and thinking about that thread it it made me think about the joker and his like you know him representing anarchy Mm -hmm. and so when people say like we can't defund police or we can't get rid of police departments because if, if not, then criminals will, will flood our streets. And like that, I think about the image of that in a movie like this, and especially in the next movie, I think it would be even more appropriate to have this conversation in the next movie. Um, but the point that Dennis um, 
that um, he was making was that David Dennis was making was like if criminals, if every criminal was released from the from jail right now from prison, most of them would just like go home and chill. Yeah. Right. Like they wouldn't go out and try to like break into people's homes or try to create these you know, crazy scenarios where they take over the city or the world or, or whatever. Most of them would just like go home and keep a low profile and like stay away from police, basically. Yes. And so I think that a lot of people, you see a character like the Joker who represents like just chaos and anarchy and they ascribe that to, you know, if, if we get rid of police, then people like the Joker will just run our streets. When in reality, there aren't really people like the Joker, right? People who commit crimes largely, overwhelmingly do it for reasons, reasons that are self-serving or reasons that are, um, you know, because they're in desperate situations or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And just, you know, there's just a lot of fucked up people in general, but overwhelmingly the majority of, of people who commit crimes from like low level crimes to whatever, do it for specific reasons and not yes. just to create chaos. Like Alfred tells Bruce that story about the guy in the forest who, um, Drawing a parallel to the Joker, that that thief who had been stealing jewels but not keeping the money or whatever it was, and the only way that they could get him was to burn the forest down, which is you know implies that the only way to catch someone like the Joker who only wants to watch the world burn is to is to you know use all of your resources to to burn everything down until you catch him. Yeah. Well, you know, in the real world, that's not really you know that's kind of there are, there are things that go along with that that aren't great. Mm-hmm. And so I was just really thinking about that. I don't even know what the what my concluding point is to this rant. I apologize, but I'm just thinking about like the Joker and how people have this image of like supervillains in their mind when in reality, you know, it's easy to point to someone trying to, you know, bomb a hospital as a supervillain versus, um, and I'm gonna put on my <laughs> I'm gonna put on my African hat with this versus, uh, you know governmental policies that take um that take jobs away from minorities and then that fucks your family up for generations right like that's yep. super villain shit yep but that's you know but that's not the joker so i don't know that's no i think that am i making any sense i'm sorry you are, no that makes a lot of sense and i think and i think that thread was very interesting to think about because He's right. Most people, like, you get out of prison or jail, there's a jailbreak. These people are not about to, like, plan some elaborate thing to burn the world down like this. Um, And then, like, was it on this thread where it's, oh, so it's talking about, he, David Dennis also talks about, like, Superman and, like, what destroys his planet is climate change. And I'm like, oh... See, now we couldn't actually have villains in movies that make sense like that. Like, we were like, what is, like, who would the villain be? Well, we then have to call out a lot of people. So whether it's climate change, whether it's uh, systems of oppression, like, you can't put that in the media like that because then people will be like, huh, maybe I really should question where this money's going and like who the bad guys are quote unquote bad guys. But like, cause I'm sure plenty of folks who do any of this that we do consider bad, whether it's dumping like chemicals into water that people then drink. Like, I don't think it's like a super villain mindset of like how the Joker 
is like, oh, I just want to like <laughs> terrorize everyone and like destroy things for the sake of destroying them. And like, it's a game. I think that people are just like, no, I just don't want to deal with this. Um, it doesn't affect me. I'm not going to deal with it. And like that is pretty bad that like anyone would go through life like that. But like, how do you, how do you make that into like one person who becomes a villain for a two and a half hour movie? Right. And he's like the main bad guy. He's the main antagonist that everyone's going against, but like, you know, it's just, and, and Gotham is like presented as this city that's just like over one overrun with crime. Right. Yes. And yes. like, it's, it's, it's infiltrated every level of society um which which is interesting because that's like that's more realistic right that there yes. are corrupt politicians and corrupt police and yeah. um you know corrupt public servants who are being you know squeezed by the mob or whatever like that that as it, it's it's like so close because there's a lot of corruptness in politics but it's more self-serving like it's it's more probable that a politician is corrupt because they just want to stay in office for as long as they can versus you know, the mob has their, you know, is paying for their grandmother's hospital bills. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it, it was really interesting watching it with that thread in mind mm-hmm. and just, um, I don't, I don't know. And that's, I, I think we're on the same page though. I feel like we're on the same page. We are. And, and I think, I think that thread, I'm glad you shared that thread and just how he is like, we have to think about how it looks going forward. Um, and one thing that I, I did think about, like after reading that and while watching this movie, um, where given the current climate in this country, I'm like, okay, like, let's see if there's any other things that like can kind of come into this in terms of like what we're portraying as a criminal or as a super or as like a villain um, in this. And I don't feel like they necessarily pinned one specific thing, but that's also because you have the mob who are a bunch of white guys. You have the accountant from Hong Kong. So like there's your Southeast Asian uh, or your Asian representation and then, like, some more of the mob guys are black, um, but not the what people would, like, stereotype for a black criminal. Um, and then just as it, like, goes through, even, like, to the different, uh, like, it, towards the end when they're all on the boats, like, there's that, you see a bunch of different looking people. Um, and I'm like, well, all right. It's a very all crimes matter. Movie. yeah yes but it doesn't and it's good that like they just are like oh no all these people like went to jail for this stuff and like you don't see like and may, I, maybe again just like what's going on is influencing how i'm watching this where i'm like oh like these cops aren't like losing their minds they're not like attacking these guys who are like they they're all on this ferry and like <laughs> they they have the guns and they're just like, okay, what are we going to do? I mean, I want to talk about the fairy situation like a little bit later, but like, this is just more like, oh, like, all right. So like, we're not trying to assign any specific type of crime to any of these people. 
we are actively, they're like almost white noise of like a blanket of like, these are criminals, but like what we're really worried about is the Joker who's a terrorist and um, Harvey Dent who kind of, I don't know, would, would you classify Harvey Dent as a terrorist towards the end? Um, I would classify him more as more as an anarchist. He kind of okay. takes the Joker's, you know, in his own way, his like crazy definition of fairness, which is to flip that coin. Yeah, like I don't, I don't think that he's. I, I don't know if terrorists. I, I think of terrorists as targeting large groups of people. Maybe that's not an accurate definition. That's just what I think of. So for him, he, it was very personal. It yes. was very like it was just like almost like this like Charles Bronson type revenge. Like, I'm just going to go and everyone who's wronged me, I'm going to go and, like, you know, blow their faces off or whatever. That's kind of how I how I viewed him. Yeah. But, that like, I guess for both of them, it's a very specific thing that, like, the movie is showing them for being, like, a villain. And anyone else who's, like, kind of in that, it's just, like, a very blanketed thing. Um, but, like, moving forward in any superhero type things i mean obviously in like the in the mcu like you thanos who is just like this guy who wanted all this power um but it was like less of a threat like you don't watch the avengers and think yep this is this is gonna come here and destroy the world (laughs) like that's not your thought but like people do think about like oh what if someone escaped from prison well like they're not about to come after you they're about to try to have a normal life because they are probably feeling very isolated. Yeah, I think that this, like, going back to our conversation last week, I just think that, you know, Christopher Nolan does everything he can to, like, force this into, like, a real-world type scenario. What yeah. if this person existed in the real world? What if there is this billionaire vigilante with parental issues who, you know, dresses up at night and fights crime? Like, what would happen? What would that look like in the real world? And so... But if you do that in the real world and, you know, real world things like what we're talking about in terms of like over policing and um, the militarization of the police, like then that kind of creeps in as well. So, you know, it it just it begs this conversation. If you're going to try to shoehorn this fantasy story into real world situations, then we have to look at it from a real world perspective. Yeah. And I just don't know. And maybe that's like in me rambling. I'm like, this just wouldn't if this were real world and it was America, I don't know if the Joker or Harvey Dent would have made it as far as they did. Even with, like, the mob, lots of things wouldn't have happened the way they happened in this movie. That's really the the end-all, be-all. If this was, like, real life, say we had a a dude with all this money, and he's like, I'm going to save the city. I just don't... I don't know. There are some pieces that I'm like, ah! For sure. And that's like, that's mentioned in that thread too, where he's like, well, what if Bruce yeah. Wayne just like put his billions into yeah. you know, making sure public education wasn't fucked up or, you know, you know, like what if he was trying to like uplift poor communities, right? Like yes. what would that look like? So, and it like, I don't know. And because they do show that in the movie, like that's what is like interesting is like, they show that like you have all these people who are like not in a great spot. And I feel like maybe it's more in Batman Begins because you see like the, the crime is out of control before Batman comes and like you have this divide and like maybe it would be different. I don't, 
I don't know if he had just been like, instead of, Oh, I'm going to go run off and do an extreme thing. And he was just like, my family makes so much money. I'm going to do something and make this place better. And like, would that have helped? Because if he was the one who was like, I'll protect like the cops, then that pushes out the mob bosses that pushes out the criminals and they have to like go elsewhere. I don't know though. You, You make such a good point about Batman begins too, because Batman begins is where his dad, his parents are like, you know, they're putting money into the city. Yeah. Right. Because there's like a recession or whatever it is. And like, that's what drew, that's what drives Joe, Joe chill to shoot Thomas and Martha Wayne. Yeah. Right. But Batman grows up and his solution isn't okay. Well, let's just, you know, my dad started putting money into the city to try to change it because, you know, crime isn't pathology. Like people want to think that crime is like people are just born criminals and people are born jokers. And that's not, you know, that's not the case. People are driven to crime because their communities are shitty and they're desperate for food. They're desperate to make money. Like, overwhelmingly that's what crime is like there's a few crazy people you know out there now and then or whatever but like statistically i mean there's more than a few crazy people obviously but like statistically overwhelmingly crime is about people being desperate and trying to like get out of desperate situations and so batman you know bruce wayne grows up and isn't like i'm gonna like use my money to make this city less poor no, that's not it. I'm gonna like <laughs> dress up like as a bat and like punch people at night. I don't know. Well, when you put it like that, my goodness, doesn't sound like a great guy. <laughs> it did, you, like... did you watch? Did you watch the thing? I, I did. You? I okay. did. And I um, and I watched that after I watched the movie. So there's an SNL skit. Um, who plays Bruce Wayne in that skit? Oh, it's uh, Beck Bennett. Okay. Yeah. And it's just like a bunch of black characters who are like, yeah, man, <laughs> uh, Batman like broke my jaw. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I wish he would just stop coming to our neighborhood and beating us up. I love that skit. Uh, we'll, so we'll, we'll tweet the link to that skit after this. We'll tweet it. It's great. Oh, yeah. It's, it's good. But like that. And so I thought of that, too, where I'm like, yeah, like who gives Batman the authority to just be like, mm, things are bad? Like. He is not, like, no person, I don't think one individual person can just be like, yeah, I think that I know the laws really well, and I'm, anytime I make a decision, it will not be influenced by any outside, his decisions are absolutely influenced by outside, like, things. Like, the fact that he jumps out a window to save Rachel, but, like, might not do that for other people, and when he goes and he's like, I'm gonna go save Rachel, not Harvey, like... Harvey is the one who can like actually make the change. Like he's the district attorney. Like you're choosing Rachel with the hopes of ending up with Rachel when she has no plans of ending up with you, Bruce. Um, And so I, yeah, like Batman, when you sit and think about the concept of Batman, it's like, ah, that's not great that you're just out here like policing people, but reining it back in (laughs) to just be like, this is critical race theory, Batman. Uh, sorry, bro. <laughs> oh, you had to do it. <laughs> it's uh, anyways, but Bruce I'll, is not above uh, making bad decisions. Right. I wanted to. I guess let me let's segue into. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that the the Jim Gordon Batman Harvey Dent relationship. Yeah. Um, that was something that 
really stuck out to me this time, them kind of forging this like allyship yeah, against crime in Gotham and how, you know, distrustful they are of each other. And that's kind of like a, pro- uh, uh, um, that's a product of so many corrupt people in mm-hmm. positions of power within the government, within the criminal justice system, whatever it is. And these are three guys who, you know, from the first three-fourths of the movie, at least, um, are all very anti-crime, you know, trying to get the mob out of Gotham and everything like that. And I just, I thought it was really interesting and, and cool to see them kind of, you know, form this companionship with each other in order to, like, take down the mob bosses. What did you think of that? I thought it was good. Um, when they initially all, like when Harvey Dent kind of just takes things into his own hands, um, it's like, oh, like Jim Gordon and Batman were kind of already, you know, collaborating and Harvey Dent like kind of forced his way in. He did. Yeah. He's really brass, right? He's very, I think that just kind of goes with his personality as well. Like he's this guy who is very sure of himself and he's very moral and very, um, adheres to a very strict set of values and yeah. you know in, in his mind it's like well why wouldn't you trust me of course I'm trying to like clean up the city whereas Jim and Batman are kind of like there's multiple conversations they have where it's like well do you trust him do you trust him and um, Dent doesn't necessarily trust Gordon because he, Gordon has cops that he's that Dent is investigated for being corrupt and Gordon is like well I have to have those people like I can't there's not enough like upstanding cops for me to have my own unit like I have to work with what I have but yeah yeah definitely just like kind of forces his way in because he's you know that kind of guy very sure of himself and very um you know they call him the white knight for a reason I guess as that nickname so yeah yeah and I like I don't think Harvey Dent does anything that people could be like oh oh I mean until the end of the movie but um, in the beginning, he very is clear about like his intentions with things. And he's like, I want to do things this way. And I want like, you don't think that he's trying to like lie to these people. Um, but he still has like a, he can come off a little abrasive. And that was something I thought where I was like, wow, he like, he was just like, no, you're going to include me. And he is just kind of like that throughout the rest of the movie where he's just like, nope, I'm here and this is what I think. (laughs) And I would hope as a DA, that's how one behaves, but it just is so different from Batman and Jim Gordon. Right. There's also, there's an interesting thing where it's like, there's the Batman Harvey Dent relationship. And then there's Mm -hmm. the Bruce Wayne Harvey Dent relationship. What did you think of that? The, the Bruce Wayne Harvey Dent relationship, I just feel like Bruce is just trying to like big stick Harvey Dent. Like I I think it's good that he can kind of set it aside when he's Batman and they like are trying to work together, but I think when he's just being Bruce, he's just like trying to be he's just trying to flaunt that he does have everything to Harvey when he like he throws him that like fundraiser party and it's like pretty much the opposite of what Harvey is comfortable in doing and 
I think Bruce partially does it out of like a gesture of kindness, but also he's just like, yeah, I don't really care that you're uncomfortable in this situation. Um, I will do what I want. And um, those are the, like, that is the time where I see that like Harvey kind of is not as brash. Like he kind of like reels it in. Cause he's like, this is just not my environment. That's such a good point. Yeah, this it's definitely a change from his normal um, personality. Nature is, you know, this guy, as we said, who's very confident. But then when he gets into a situation with those, um, as Rachel says, the trust fund brigade. Yeah, right? he's really he's really out of his element. He's really uncomfortable. Um, I think that that was really also set up to just kind of show the differences between Harvey Dent and Bruce Wayne, where mm-hmm. they're they're both. You know, deep down, they both have the same like moral code or whatever, like uh, whatever it is. But, um, you know, Bruce has access that Harvey doesn't. Yeah. Bruce, Bruce's family history is is a lot different than Harvey's and he has resources that Harvey doesn't. And so that's it's kind of um, and he Bruce intentionally comes off as this kind of aloof, you know, billionaire kind of dumb kind of you know all he cares about is partying whatever but you know he wants to you know he's he's with the situation with harvey he's coming off as this like benevolent like you know i agree with what you're saying i think that gotham street should be cleaned up so i'm going to throw you a fundraiser yeah um when in reality it's very strategic what he's doing right He's, he's presenting a very strategic face to um, you know, because if he came off as like this righteous, you know, tough on crime, you know, a person, people might try to might start to draw parallels between him and Batman. So, yes, especially if they like how the the guy that works for Wayne Enterprises who tries to and like that's probably a, a top moment of the movie when that guy goes to Lucius Fox and he's like, I know that like all of this money from R&D is going into this. And did you think that like you're the thing that you created, it's out destroying things on the streets of Gotham. Like you wouldn't recognize that. And Lucius Fox is just like, so you're trying to blackmail <laughs> the guy who dresses up and beats people up every night. Um, it's just like a very light and funny moment of the movie. But like if Bruce Wayne were to be, more like intense and like yeah we need to do this um i'm sure plenty of people would be looking into like what is what is wayne enterprises doing and like where is batman getting these things like no one thinks to connect those things as far as we know outside of the organization yeah i gotta shout out ted here because he's the one like ted is always wanting us to talk about the gifts and that's definitely a big you know the morgan freeman gift where he says good luck (laughs) the coleman reese thinking that he's gonna blackmail yeah and I, I forgot about that part of the movie, but I was like, oh, right. Like, this is also kind of important. And when, like, Bruce saves him by, like, get, letting his Lamborghini get wrecked, and he's like, oh, I didn't realize what was going Like, he leans all the way into that, but, like, he gives that guy a look where it's like, I know that you know, and you're welcome for saving your life. What a great moment that was. That was great. And like, it's just, it, again, he's very, um, 
he has a, a clear strategy for how he wants to be portrayed. Yes. And, you know, Gordon is like, that was really brave. And he's like, you know, well, I don't even know what's going on. You know, like faking like he wasn't aware that Coleman Reese was in the was in the van. Like, yeah, it's it's a solid Bruce Wayne movie. Yes. Um, he's definitely he's I, I feel like he spends more time as Batman than he does Bruce Wayne in this movie. But the limited time he has as Bruce Wayne in this movie is really good. Yes, like he does a very good job as Bruce, but it's a lot less than Batman Begins because it's not developing him anymore now. It's really just seeing what he's going to go do and all the things that are going on in Gotham, and there's so much that happens in it. Completely true. Way, yeah, way less time as Bruce. This is, you know, Batman Begins was Bruce's movie. This is this is the Joker's movie, but in terms of uh, Batman, it's more of a Batman than Bruce movie for sure. Yes, you want you wanted you wanted to mention the boat situation. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So again, another thing. Obviously, I don't remember many things. Sorry, folks. I just it's just too full in my brain. But um, I forgot about how you know they're trying to evacuate things and get all these people out because the Joker is threatening to hurt people but so they have all the people on like the ferry who are non-criminals it's just people on the ferry and then the ferry from arkham and i forgot that they had the option of like so they find out that there's like a bomb in each ferry and they're and the joker like calls them and is like okay like you can blow up the other person or I'm going to blow up both people. It's a social experiment. And it was just a very interesting, and really I forgot so much about it because I like what stands out is like the Joker and Batman fighting and then Batman going and trying to stop Harvey. So everything that's going on that even leads him to the Joker is like showing that, okay, you have the this boat of criminals and this boat of just like the residents of Gotham and the residents of Gotham vote on if they should like essentially blow up the other ship and they do vote in favor of it, but no one can like commit to it because even though this man, he gets very like angry and he's like, you can't even like kill like these guys, they, they had their chance and they ruined it and they were in prison and like whatever. Um, but when it comes down to it, it's not that simple of a decision to end someone else's life based off of like them making one bad decision, like that whole boat of um, like criminals, like their crimes could range from like, I don't know what a like a simple crime is to like murdering people and being in the mob. Like you have just like your street criminal versus like your mob boss. And so it just like, it's a very interesting part of the movie just because it's like neither side is like willing to like just end someone's life for no reason. And the, there's this large man on the criminal boat. Who's just like, give me the the detonator and say that like, I fought you to get it. And he's just like very large man, a lot bigger than like the, the man holding the detonator. And so he takes it and throws it out the window and everyone is just like watching him. And like, they're just like sitting there. And someone on the like civilian boat, they're just like, you know, they haven't blown us up yet. yet. So like why, so like there's that argument and it's like that internal 
you see these people working through a problem of like, well, the other person hasn't done this to me. And like, how, how can I value, like, how can you assign value to human life? It doesn't matter what has happened in that human's life. How are you going to assign value to like hundreds of lives and be like, yeah, like I, I feel good about myself being like, yep, kill them. Like no one's going to feel that way on paper. They might, but then when they like sit and think about it where they're like, Oh, like that could have happened to me and they could be having this same conversation about me. And like, how does that even feel? How does that look? Um, And so I think one that like this, the boat situation just speaks to like how the Joker is not doing things for any particular purpose other than to like do them. Like it doesn't, doesn't further him in any way it's not going to make him money it's not going to get him followers it's not going to do anything for him like he does not he's not looking out for his own like gain he gets some entertainment about from it and it like also like distracts the cops from following him or whatever but it just is such a like interesting thing for a villain to do you know, when you when you talk about how that doesn't really do anything for the Joker, it makes me think about like what's the what's the purpose of that scene? Like, what's the function of it? Because it's not like you're right. Like, in a lot of ways, that scene could have been removed from the movie, and the movie could have, would have still made complete sense. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And so I think about um, I think that there's a criticism to be had, like a film criticism, and I'm not like a film critic, obviously, but there's there's a film criticism argument to to be had that that, that scene is unnecessary. For me, I think it just, I think one of the, one of the things that that scene does is that, first of all, like you said, it shows how difficult it is to make the decision to end another person's life, mm-hmm. right? And like, it, so it's, it's every people, right? It's, it's, it's the every man, it's the every man, it's the every woman, the regular people in that one ship. And then in the other ship, it's a bunch of other, it's a bunch of other every men, but they're just, they've been in jail. Yep like no one on that ship is a super villain or whatever. Like we've talked about, none of them have these like grand schemes to like blow up the city or whatever. Um, so it's like regular two ships of regular people from different life circumstances and they have their, each other's lives in their hands. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe, maybe one of the functions of that scene again is to, to show how, how difficult it is to make that decision. Yeah. And like you said, the guy, like the guy on the, um, ship of civilians who was talking a big game, but then when the key's in your hand, he can't do it. And so you, um, you juxtapose that with like these villains, like the Joker and like the mob bosses too, who just like kind of kill indiscriminately and like without Mm -hmm. thinking. And um, so it serves that function. And then I think it might serve the function of, I don't know if, if like the Joker was like leading up, like all of his plans are like leading up to that plan. Right, to show, because he's talking about the battle for Gotham's soul, like him yeah. saying that's a Batman. So, like, if that's his his grand plan to show that, like, everyone in Gotham is fucked up or whatever, like, everyone in Gotham only cares about themselves and don't care about making the moral decision, and then that kind of blows up in his face where they, you know, neither one of them blows the other up. And so Batman is, like, the city just showed you that it's not completely corrupt. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's the, you know, the yeah. cinematic function of the scene. I don't know. That's just something that watching it again, just now I thought a lot about like, what was the purpose of that scene? What did it show? Was it necessary? Um, All that type of stuff. But yeah, I was really fascinated by that scene. And I definitely agree. Like the movie could go on 
without it. Like the Joker had so many other times because Harvey Dent was like ultimately his like, all right, well, like anyone can, you can push anyone into doing something extreme and wrong um, just by looking at like Harvey Dent. So like that you think is going to be kind of his, his move. Um, but then to have, yeah, the fairy scene, it, I'm sure people are like, yeah, it didn't need to be included. But like as a viewer who's just just watching the movie and like not any type of like expert, it just it shows that people are complex. Um even because like people can fall into like the mob mentality and like they kind of do when they're like ready to like blow up the other ship, but then they do have value for human life. And um, I'm wondering if it's just kind of a, yeah, it's not that simple for like your average person to just be like, Hey, I'm going to go kill someone. Like, cause no one, there, there are things that come after that. Like all those people, they'd have to be live with that decision. Sure. Yeah. It's not, it's, you know, and it, we become desensitized to it in a lot of ways too, where we just see people like shoot each other, like it's nothing or whatever. And so, yeah, it's good of the movie to show like, okay, this is a regular person. He's given the chance to either save himself and a bunch of people with him, or in order to do that, he has to like kill a bunch of people. But like, once you have the decision, like how, you know, what does it cost to like take another person's life or a group of people's lives? Yeah. Um, I think that you make a good point too, in terms of like Harvey Dent and like the, that made me think of how this movie is also influenced by a comic called The Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. which is written in the 80s by Alan Moore, um, who's the same guy that wrote Watchmen. Um, and that's a really controversial book because um, The Killing Joke is about the Joker. Um, he's trying to prove to Batman that like anyone can be crazy if if they have like one bad day and a bunch of crazy shit happens to him, which is, you know, in this movie, he he does that to, to Harvey Dent. But in the in the graphic novel, and again, this is, I, shouldn't, I really shouldn't have been talking about these without having read them for so long, but... <laughs> Um, it's, it's Jim Gordon in that book, I believe. Like he, okay. you know, the Joker, like kidnaps Jim Gordon's daughter. And like, um, it's controversial because I, I believe that there's, um, he commits like a sexual assault against his, his daughter oh. and like paralyzes her and like, just like a bunch of stuff. And like, the point is to like, I'm going to take this guy and I'm going to like drive him crazy by all the stuff that I do. Yeah. And so like, that's kind of, um, that's kind of transferred into this movie as well. Yes. And, um, that was just interesting to look at, in my opinion. And I think that, I, I agree. And I think that like Harvey is a good character in this movie for that. Because Jim Gordon is just trying to do the right thing. Jim Gordon is like a good guy. He's just, I just want to make it better. I understand that there's flaws and we're just trying to like, overcome them and uh work through it but harvey dent is just so rigid that it makes sense that like the joker could just like jam him up for sure and he's you know it's he's if i can take this if i can break this this rigid guy down then what helps what hope does anyone else have in the city 
Exactly. So. And like Harvey being so vocal about his morals and him being like, no, we're going to do this. So um, a very good target for the Joker in this situation. Um, yeah. Harvey is a little too into his like, this is what's fair. Like, right. Harvey, <laughs> that's, that's not how life works. It's not right. about what's fair. Uh none of us operate under the assumption that life is fair. You shouldn't either. And like, he's like, he's a lawyer. He should like, know that life isn't fair. Right. If anyone knows that life isn't fair, it's the district attorney. (laughs) Yeah. But then he finds out it's not. And, uh, he loses control of his life. It's a rough look for him. It's not a great look at all. It's not what you want. Sorry, Harvey. (laughs) Pour one out. He, and I think that this might be like a very major thing that I was just like, oh, right. Like, so Harvey Dent dies and Jim and Batman are like, okay, we, we can't let people know that he like was the worst right at the end. Um, It's very interesting how they try to like preserve his memory. It is. Yeah. And that's, an interesting way to end the movie, you know, yeah. where Batman is basically not the hero. Like, he's the hero, but perceived to everyone else, he's not. So, and it's intentional, right? Like, he has to take the fall in order to, yes. you know, have Gotham have hope for other people. That there yes. would be some people in the city that were that are going to work for the good of the city and not corruptible. Yeah. It, what, a, uh, what a movie. It's such a good movie. It is... Flawless execution of a movie. The music's good. The acting's really good. And the story is very well put together. Like, the details of it are very good. Um, And it flows well from Batman Begins to kind of broaden what we know about this Batman story. It definitely does. It's a, a, a really good... I mean, there's a there's a reason why it's considered one of the best superhero movies ever made. Do you have any, like, final thoughts on the movie before we get ready for next week? Um, when I finished watching it, I was, like, ready to jump into The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> I was like, I must know what happens next. I've seen it. I just, again, I don't remember all the details of it, but I'm like, this movie was so good, I need more. Um, so... If you're looking for a movie to be watching right now, I think that The Dark Knight, it's it. It's what a perfectly well done movie. Um, so that's those are like my final thoughts of it. What are you what are your final thoughts of the movie? Um, I would just say that I'm I'm glad I watched it again for this podcast. Um it 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 just I a lot of things in my life, when you become a parent, you get really nostalgic and really like sentimental. Yeah. So thinking about how, you know, the context in which I saw the movie and um, what my life was like back then and, you know, what I was what I was as a moviegoer back then versus now. Like, I just I think a lot about that and I'll get into that even more um, in the next movie, because the next movie um, I, we, I, we would be remiss if we didn't mention in the next movie the um, the tragedy surrounding the opening of that movie. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. And I, and I remember that happening and, um, 
I was working in news. I was working in TV news when that happened. And so I remember the, um, the impact of the story and things like that, but, um, it was great to go back and, and, and watch this movie again and, and just think about, you know, being a college student and watching it on DVD all the time in my dorm room. So I'm excited for next week. Same. I'm excited, but it's definitely, there's a, a definite shift from this movie to the dark Knight rises, which we will talk about um, for sure. There's no way to talk about it about the movie without talking about like everything that went on with the movie. Um, and given, you know, Heath Ledger likely was supposed to be in that next movie. Um, for sure. So how that kind of looks, but I'm excited to talk about it. I was excited to talk about this movie because it was just, Oh, so good. <laughs> A lot of fun. This is great. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, stay tuned for next week's episode on the dark Knight rises. Talk to you next week.